Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. You ever have one of those days when it's just like you turn on the news and the latest COVID numbers aren't going down, and then the next piece is some awful story about income inequality or medical debt or something, and then the next piece is about the government dragging its feet on climate change, and then on top of all of that, you still got to get up and go to work? It can be hard to hang on to hope sometimes, especially on that climate change front. And even with that big UN climate meeting going on right now in Scotland, perhaps nobody knows that more than Jane Goodall, the groundbreaking scientist, chimpanzee expert, and animal rights activist. With co-author Douglas Abrams, Goodall's got a new book called The Book of Hope. And what I like about today's conversation is that Goodall isn't gushy about the reality of things. It's bad out here, which makes hope all the more important. Here's the interview with NPR's Rachel Martin. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Someone like yourself who's spent a lifetime talking about the urgent need to protect our planet, natural habitats, build a better Earth, considering where we are at right now, No one would blame you if you weren't hopeful at all. And yet you are. Where does that come from? Well, let me back off a bit by saying that if we all lose hope, we're doomed. So I've found I've met so many people who don't have hope, who say they feel helpless and hopeless. And I say to them, well, that's because we're always being told, think globally, act locally. But Quite honestly, if you think globally, you, you're you just so depressed. I mean, every, every day we're bombarded with bad news, socially, politically, environmentally. But turn it the other way around. Something that you feel, I'd like to do something about this. And either you or hopefully you and some friends get together and start doing something. And you find you make a difference. And then you realize that, well, in other parts of the world, people are feeling like you and doing like you because they're being advised to take local action and you've made a difference, so you want to do more. And that's inspiring other people. So it's an upward spiral like this of growing hope with action. So for me, hope isn't just something where you sit back and say, oh, I hope everything will be okay. No, I don't look at the world through rose-colored spectacles. We've got to work to make what we hope for happen. The book divides your reflections on hope into four different categories, and human intellect is one. You say that our own human capacity to intellectualize through problems is a place where you find hope. Can you explain that? Well, we differ mainly from other animals by this explosive development of the intellect. You know, chimpanzees and other animals are way, way, way more intelligent than we used to think. So how bizarre that the most intellectual creature that's ever lived is destroying its only home, our planet. That is crazy. So now 
science is beginning to come up with all kinds of innovative ways of coping with some of the, at least environmental problems, like clean, green, renewable energy, for example. So that's why the human intellect is one of my reasons for hope. You were not a classically trained scientist. Luckily. <laughs> why do you say that? Do you think it gave you different eyes to look at the world? Well, that's that one of the reasons Leakey was so keen. Louis Leakey, paleontologist, anthropologist, was so keen for me to go and study chimps. He wanted, because at that time, the scientific attitude towards animals was so reductionist. You know, only humans had personalities, minds, and emotions. And animals were not sentient beings at all. You shouldn't have empathy with them. Well, I didn't know any of that. I hadn't been told it. So, you know, and because the chimps are genetically, we share 98.6% of our DNA with them, scientists began to have to change. They had to. During an event a couple of years ago, and this is laid out in the book, you were asked what your next great adventure would be, and you said death, hmm. which I have to assume probably caught some people off guard in the audience. Oh, it did. There were there was a gasp and then some nervous titters. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, there were about five to 10,000 people in a huge auditorium. And explain that answer, how you have come to that perspective. Well, when you die, there's either nothing, in which case, fine, you're gone, right? Nothing, your mind, your consciousness, everything gone. Or, as I have come to believe through various experiences that I've had in my life, there's something. Don't know what it is quite. But if that's true, can you think of a greater adventure than finding out what is beyond death? Mm -hmm. So as you think about where you have come and the next great adventure ahead, there are just generations of people whom you have inspired over your life. And young people in particular, you evoke something very special in them. And they really look to you as a guide in their work and advocacy on climate change and how to protect the planet. How do you talk to them about that? It was because of that feeling that I met in so many young people, hopelessness, helplessness. That's why I started the Roots and Shoots program for youth that's now in over 60 countries. And when they came up to me, they all said more or less the same. This is in four continents that we feel this way because you've compromised our future, older generations, and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, we have not just compromised the future of young people. We've been stealing it. We've been stealing it, stealing the natural resources that they will be relying on many of which will now not be there. But is there nothing they can do? Was that true? No, there's always something to do. So Roots and Chutes is based on the premise that a group will get together and they'll be interested in different things. And because in the rainforest, I learned how everything is interconnected. Talk to your friends, maybe a teacher. Or get somebody in who's an expert. See if there's something you can do. Then roll up your sleeves and do it. The Book of Hope by Jane Goodall and Douglas Abrams. Dr. Goodall, it's been a privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much. 
Well, thanks very much. Thank you. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when... That couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR.